If you got your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew 18. We're going to be heavily in there this morning. We're basically the entire chapter and a few other places, but um, we'll read the, almost the entirety of Matthew 18. There's going to be a lot of gaps in this this morning, but I'm just believing that the Holy Spirit is going to make up the difference. Amen. Father, I just thank you this morning for your word. God, I thank you for your presence here. Lord, I thank you that even though there's so many times where we fall short, you always make up the hedge. I thank you for your spirit that you give within the born-again believer, Lord, that changes us and conforms us and convicts us at times, Lord. And you show us the way in which we're to walk, the spirit of truth, which comes to lead us into all truth. And I just bless you today for who you are, God, and how you are so gracious and gentle with us. And little by little, you're conforming us to the image of your dear son. We just thank you for that this morning in Jesus name. Amen. So I want to ask a question. Have you ever thought to yourself? I wish I could be greater in God's kingdom. I just I just wish that I knew more how to be like Christ. I just I want to please the Lord and the things that I do. I want to be great in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we think of that like it's some type of a selfish thing. But I don't believe it is. And Lee has brought it out beautifully so many times that we are encouraged to store up treasure in heaven. And we have an opportunity to do that. You can actually live for greatness. Christianity is not a welfare state. You can invest in the kingdom of God. You can see a return. You can be great in the kingdom of God. We know that salvation is by grace through faith. But there's a natural urge in us to please God and be great in his kingdom. And it's not a bad thing. It's beautiful if it's used in the right capacity. <laughs> okay. So the disciples were no different here in Matthew chapter 18. They come to Jesus and they want to know what does it take to be great in the kingdom of God? So here we go. Verse one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, Jesus put this child in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened about his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Skip down to verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones for I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven for the son of man came to save the lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three on earth 
agree about anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Seven times seven. 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And a talent, y'all, was a monetary unit worth about 20 years of wages. One talent is 20 years of your wages. Okay? So this is 200,000 days of wages that this guy is talking about. That's how much he owed. It's a lot. It's $40 million if you make 100000 a year. Okay? And since he could not pay it, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and a denarius was one day's wages. So this is just a hundred days wages compared to 200,000. He owed him just a hundred denarii. He seized him and began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I'll pay you. But he refused. And went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had happened. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the tormenting jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's so easy to read this chapter and to just focus on the first portion of the scripture. Oh, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, just be humble as a little child. That's all that we take away. And I talk to so many people around the world in the church. And I like to ask them this question. What do you think, especially ministers? What do you think about being great in the kingdom? You want to grow this ministry? You want to do this? What does it take to be great in the kingdom? And they've got all these ideas. To this date, 27 years in ministry, I've never had anybody say, man, I was reading Matthew 18. And just let me tell you what the Bible says. No, we have all these other ideas. But Jesus makes it so plain here, so clear that we should just become as a child. And then we fall into the trap of, well, that means I should just be innocent in my heart. Right? Have you heard that one? Well, I just come like a little child and be innocent. Because we, as the followers of Jesus, we want to be sinless, don't we? We hate our sin. We wrestle with it. And we're just like, I just wish I could be innocent in the things that I do. I wish I could just be pure. And you look at little children. You're like, man, they don't have any stress or anxiety or anything. And I just wish that I could be like a child in that way. But I think we make a mistake there because how many of you have children? A majority of you. I've got two of them. They're not innocent. Children are innocent. There's nothing innocent at all about a child. Somebody's shouting amen over here. 
Because she knows they're desperately wicked, just like you and I. They rebel at every single chance that they get. And if you tell them, don't touch, what do they do? They touch it. (laughs) Exactly. Right away. They just touch the thing. And they're actually great examples of what we should not be. You never have to teach them to hurt their brother or sister. You don't have to teach them to lie. They just do these things. And yet Jesus is saying here, become as a little child. But that's not the end of the answer, is it? He goes on and he speaks this whole chapter concerning what does it take to be great in the kingdom of God? The whole entire chapter is this. So he answers this question in a very profound way. And he only starts by saying, you must become as a child. But then in verse six, he warns of those who would offend those children. In verse 10, he tells you not to look down on them. Don't look down on children. Little children are not innocent. They're little terrors, they're little devils that run around trying to be disobedient to everything that they can. And if you leave them to decide their own faith, there's no telling what kind of crazy stuff that they will get involved in. I don't know how many times when things get quiet, right, in in the room that they're in, you know, I better go check. And you go in there and who knows what's going on? The stuff that happens, we all have stories. So is this how we please God? No, that's not how we please the Lord. So we have to take the whole chapter into context here. Jesus goes on to tell us in verse 15, and this really is the linchpin. If your brother sins against you, go to him. You go to him. You go to her. Not to somebody else in the church. Not to Pastor Lee. Not to Sister Carla. Not to Brother Richard over here, or Michelle, Sister Vicki. No, no, you go to that person, just the two of you, right? And if that doesn't work, you grab two or three witnesses and witnesses are people that saw it happen. They're not people that you told it to, right? They're people that actually saw what take place. And if that doesn't work, then you take them to the church. If that doesn't work, treat them like a heathen, just move on. But verse 18, I want to focus on here. Matthew 18, 18, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. How many of you have heard this verse preached that we can just bind the devil? We're going to bind the devil. We're going to bind poverty. I'm going to bind this addiction of smoking these cigarettes. And I'm just going to loose myself into my inheritance into my destiny. I'm going to loose myself into prosperity. Hallelujah. And we use this verse, but you and I just read this entire chapter. Did you, did you see that in there anywhere? Anybody about binding poverty, binding the devil even? I realize that this doctrine is actually comes out from Matthew 16, verse 19, where Peter says, or Jesus says to Peter, you know, you're going to be given the keys of the kingdom and, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. But I went and did a lot of research on that. And what I discovered was this is actually Jewish legal phraseology, meaning that Jesus is giving him authority. And we have authority because we've been brought out of one kingdom and been put into another. And this phraseology in the Jewish courts was meant to declare that something was either forbidden or to declare that it was allowed. That's what it was all about because these are the law people. 
They had enough laws to choke a chicken, and they added more. They were all about the law. So if you're going to bind something or loose it, we're talking about legal terms here. We're talking about law. You're either free or it's forbidden. One of the two. So that's the context of Matthew 16, 19 about you're given the keys of the kingdom. Now you have the ability to bind or loose. And the context of this scripture does not refer to demons at all. Yes, Christ has given us power over the devil. We know that. Hallelujah. But at the same time, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. It's always the Lord that has the ultimate authority over the devil. He lives in me. Yes. There's times he uses us. Yes. But more than anything, the Christian is to resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's really what that verse is talking about. Just stay in the light with Christ. Don't go play in the shadows over here. Don't get involved in the darkness. You've been delivered out of that kingdom and you've been brought in the kingdom of God's dear son. Amen. But these scriptures on binding and loosing are not ones that you should use for stating that you can just resist the devil. That's not the context of this at all. Use James chapter four for that and realize that it is the Lord that rebukes. But these verses are talking about something completely different. And that's why so many people get frustrated. They're like, I bound poverty in my life and it never happened. I can't seem to get rid of it. Well, maybe you're praying the wrong prayer. And remember that Jesus is our great high priest. So in his mercy, he takes every prayer that we pray and he filters it. And then he presents it perfect to the father. And so whatever you're praying, that's not biblical. It's not getting to the father because you've got a great high priest that protects you and makes every single prayer perfect. So he just weeds out everything that shouldn't be there. It's like drinking your cup of coffee. Jesus is the perfect coffee filter. It's not going to get any grounds in there at all. It's just going to be presented perfect to the father. Hallelujah. So this is not talking about binding and loosening the devil or binding the devil and loosening, you know, prosperity. It's talking about binding people. The context of this is that somebody's got a problem with somebody else. There's a difficulty here. Something has taken place and the church has been given the authority to declare judgment on those who refuse to repent. That's terrifying. And Jesus is saying here, though, that you have the ability, you have the authority to bind those that have wronged you. You've been given that. Not just accidental things, but deliberate, cruel acts that people have done against you. And that were witnessed by other people. Everybody knows it's wrong. And you can go to them and you can hold them accountable for what they have done. That's specifically what this verse is saying. But you've got to do it the right way so you can bind people and God will hold them accountable in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, be bound in heaven. And when Peter hears this and we, you know, this has been joked about for centuries, but his flesh gets so excited like many of ours. And it's almost, you know, you can just hear him because it's, it's just like me. In fact, a friend of mine put a thing on Facebook yesterday and said, you know, Jesus said 490 times, so I'm just waiting for that 491th, right? Because we have this vengeance within ourselves that we want to see justice. That's what we say. Oh, Lord, bring them to justice. Look at what they did to me. Hold on. So Peter says, this is great news, Jesus. I've got a few people in my life that I'd like to bind. 
I mean, I'm a fisherman, you know, I'm kind of the lowest of the low here. Can you imagine Matthew, the tax collector? He's the one that wrote all this. He's the one that was looked at as just the scum of society. He's the one that more than likely everybody hated, probably his own family disowned him, more than likely according to the Jewish culture, because to, to be in league with the Romans is actually to reject Jewish law. I mean, he was an absolute heretic. He should have been stoned. Should have been killed, rejected from the people of God. And here he is in this group now. All of these thoughts, can you imagine, going through his mind? Because these people at this point have not been given a new nature. They haven't been born again. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't been resurrected. They're still in this like intertestamental period, right? Intercovenantal period between the old covenant and the new. And there's this heaven is on earth in the person of Jesus. But they're not, they didn't have the wisdom that they had in the book of Acts. So, all right, this is great news. How many times do I have to forgive them before I can bind them? And you just see the, 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 the whole humor of Jesus. You know, oh, Peter, you want to know how many times? 490 times in one single day. And like my friend, he's probably like, great, 490 times. All right, 491. I'm just waiting for that. I'm waiting for that time. I tell you what, one day, Jesus, maybe I can even provoke some people. But Jesus keeps on speaking, doesn't he? And he gives this incredible parable about this wicked servant to teach us about forgiveness here. And this wicked servant had a great debt. I calculated all this out about 500 years of wages, give or take. That's a lot of years. He can't pay it back. He falls on his face. He asks for more time. And the king just forgives him the entire debt. If I was the king, I would have been incredulous about the whole thing. I'll pay you back. Just like, (laughs) really? You're really going to pay this back? You make 100,000 a year. This is $40 million. We're talking about more than a couple of centuries for you to pay this back. And you're already however old. There's no possibility. So I'm just going to forgive you. Because I'm seeing your humility. But then this servant... He goes to his fellow servant and he just demands a hundred days of wages and give it to me right now. No, I'll pay you back. Just give me a little bit more time. I will pay you back. And this is actually possible to do, but he won't have anything of it. He just locks him up in jail with no grace, no forgiveness for you. I've just had this incredible Rolling away of this burden that I could never pay. This is outrageous. The wicked man is demanding 0.05% of what he owed. 0.05%. For simplicity, let's say the wicked man owed 100 bucks. Do the math. He's going on about five cents. Five, five little pennies. There's no forgiveness. I need to be paid now. How do you become great in the kingdom? 
become as a child? What are children? Are they innocent? No. But children are forgiving. They're very forgiving. Two of them can be playing. My kids do this all the time. One of them punches the other one in the face. One of them's crying. My kids are rough. They look like little angels here. No. (laughs) One of them punches. The blood's going, you know, the whole thing. And the one that's hurt runs to mama. Mama comforts. Maybe a minute tops goes by. And then they just run right back to the other one and say, hey, let's play again. Everything's forgiven. I was watching two kids right here in this church, right here in the aisle, not too long ago. And one of them was on the other one's back, biting him. Ah, and the kid's screaming in pain. A few minutes later, they're up running around. Everything's forgotten. They're just forgiving. It's not because they're stupid. They don't have the memory of a goldfish. They're just forgiving. And a friend of mine likes to tell this story about how his wife, she'll discipline the kids and then he'll say to them after it's all over, isn't mommy mean? And they immediately side with mommy. No, daddy's mean. Oh, you know, and they get into this little thing. He wasn't even involved in the discipline, but yet that's just the way they are. And isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful how children just, they don't hold grudges. They just let things go. And this is what Jesus said we should be. You want to be great in the kingdom? Be like a child. Be forgiving. They just keep loving you. But with an adult, if you don't shake somebody's hand, right? Or if you say something quickly because your mind is somewhere else and you don't say it exactly in the right way, and they'll turn the whole family against you over something so small and petty in Matthew chapter seven, verse one, we're all familiar with this. The lost love to throw this in our face. Judge not that you be not judged. Who wants to be judged? Show of hands. Any of you want to be judged? Not one person in this place. For those of you at home, not one person wants to be judged. I don't want to be judged. Not at all. If I was judged righteous judgment for my life, I'd be in a lot of trouble. In fact, there's so much sin on me. Don't get too close. But I praise God for Jesus. Hey, man, I praise God for the blood. Verse 2, chapter 7. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Verse 3. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye? But you don't notice the log or the beam that's in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And again, I love the humor of Jesus here because that's impossible. That's absolutely just, it's hilarious. Jesus, because so much of what he said, people weren't sitting there writing it down. Nobody was sitting there with a typewriter. Nobody had a voice recorder. So Jesus uses these things that'll be remembered. And it's just so outrageous. It's like, what are you talking about? To my knowledge, maybe they found fossilized ones, right? Or something hidden in some pot someplace. I don't know that they had safety glasses in those days. Jesus was a carpenter. 
So many religious people, I've heard them say, okay, all I got to do is get the beam out of my eye. Now I'm born again now. I can see clearly and I can help you get the speck out of your eye, brother. And in our arrogance and in just such pride, we're like, I can do this. Oh, this is just praise God for what Jesus said. He told me this right here. And I think people that think that way, They've never had a job in the metal trades. They've never had a job working in carpentry like Jesus did. I was grinding steel one time with no safety glasses. I got your safety glasses, by the way. You left them at my house. I was grinding steel. No safety glasses. Everything seemed to be fine. Yeah, maybe a few little specks got, but they'll wash out. I just went to bed. Till I woke up at three o'clock in the morning with my eye in such pain, it made me want to vomit. So horrible, the pain in my eye. And my eyes watering so much, I can't see anything. And the pain is so great that even in the good eye, I can't see enough to see what's in this eye. There's no way. So I have to wait till 6 a.m. This was before I was married for my roommate who's also in the trades, to wake up. And he's like, let me get my coffee, man. And yeah, we'll get that thing out. Don't worry, I've got a magnet out in the shop. And it's a 350-pound polar, you know, for picking up I-beams and stuff like that. You set it on there, you turn the thing, and poof, you're not pulling it off. Unless you got 350 pounds. He's like, we'll get that thing on your eye, and it'll just suck it right out of there. So you keep your eye open, because it'll pull right through your eyelid. And I'm like, great, you know, so he's got me laid out on the floor and he's got his coffee drunk and he's got this huge magnet over me and he turns that thing on and guess what happened? Nothing except my eye hurt even worse. He couldn't get it out. He's got 20, 20 vision. He's got a magnet that'll pull 350 pounds. He's got his coffee. You think by now everything? No, not at all. I had to go to the optometrist and they had to get the little grinder. Anybody ever done this before? Man, I've had to do it a couple of times. It's horrible. And they're like, let me put this thing on here. And they get this little drum that's basically a dentist drill. And they just grind it all out of there. And mine had so much rust in it now. He had to grind out all the rust too. It's horrible. And that was just a tiny sliver. It wasn't an eye beam. So Jesus is simply telling us here. Let me paraphrase it the way I understand it. Why are you so concerned about your brother? You can't even fix yourself. You don't need a 350 pound magnet. You need me. You need my blood. To be great in the kingdom of God is to be humble, yes, but it's to be forgiving. My roommate was so confident, he can see clear everything. Couldn't get it out. And that's the way it is, isn't it? The ones who are so confident. <laughs> they, I can get it out. I've got all the tools. I've got clear vision. They can never do it. It's kind of like when you're attending a church conference and 
you know, you miss one night because you got four kids and they're tearing up and you're just like, we're not going tonight because I can't handle this and I'm not in the spirit at all. We're all just going to watch a movie and go to bed. And then you go the next night and people are like, hey, man, we missed you last night. What? I, uh, yeah, you know, I got four kids and uh, oh, really? I've got seven kids and we never missed a night. Wow. Good for you. I'm so glad that you're just able to do all that. You're so transformed into the image of Jesus. You can get all your kids dressed up and their hair is just perfect. And they're all in their suits and we come in our sweatpants, you know. But praise God, you've really got it all together. And oh yeah, I bet the Lord is really using you now to encourage and edify the body of Christ. I can tell you, he's using you to encourage me right now. Now. And those same people. They wonder why nobody in the church ever asks them to serve. You know why? Because leadership knows that they're too busy just serving themselves. It's not easy to love those kind of people, I can tell you. But God wants us to understand that what we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And that's an incredible responsibility, y'all. He wants you to know that if someone has wronged you, you can hold them accountable. That's given to you, that power. But whatever judgment you put on them, God's going to put on you. The very same judgment. Whatever you standard you hold them to. And you say, you have no idea what people have done to me. You have no idea what people have done to me. You have no idea what people have done to Jesus. You don't even realize what you have done to Jesus. And if Jesus can forgive you of so much, why do we hold on to something that is so little? Why do we hold on to these petty things? Why do we hold people to a standard that we can't, we don't want to be held to? How many of you want to be judged? Not one person raised their hand because you know, you know, they did terrible things to me. Yeah, they did. But you're a terrible person too. You've been forgiven so much. It doesn't matter what they did. It doesn't matter what they've done. It only matters what he has done. Amen. There's a cross behind me. We sing the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And yet so many times we find ourselves like this wicked servant. Where Jesus forgave us 20 talents. 400 years of wages. And yet we're like, well, I'm not going to forgive him this five cents. But yet we want to please God. We want to be great in his kingdom. You have the opportunity to. So forgive. Because the other part of the statement is the part people forget. Very fast. Whatever you bind is bound. But whatever you loose is loosed. Whatever you loose is loosed, y'all. And whatever judgment you judge by is going to be put right back on you. So forget about loosing prosperity. 
That is a waste of your time. Loose forgiveness. That's true prosperity. That's true freedom. To stand before the Lord one day. Oh my. Here we are at the Christmas season. What greater gift could you give? But to just give the gift of freedom to somebody. Just to lose somebody from what they've done to you. Yes, they've wronged you. God knows it. You know it. They probably know it. Other people know it. But you've been forgiven so much. So just lose forgiveness towards them. That's the gift that really keeps on giving. It's amazing because when you think about this, something happened. You bound them. You didn't forgive them. And one day we're going to stand before the Lord. And everything's going to be revealed, right? And you're going to be able to say, I bound them according to your word. And God's, yep, and I'm going to hold them accountable to it. Now we're going to look at your life. I'm going to hold you to the exact same standard. Or you're standing in glory. The accounts are all open. Oh, look, you forgave them. You loose them. I'm going to loose them. And let's look at your life. I'm going to hold you to the exact same judgment. So I'm just going to loose you. Because you became as a child. Oh. Talk about storing up treasure in heaven. Hallelujah. He's giving you authority. What a terrible thought. So what are we going to say in our hearts towards people that have wronged us? What are you going to do when you sit down with your family this holiday season? And there's Uncle George. I remember one of my best friends this happened to. When I was 12 years old, he told me, pick up my bicycle from the driveway. And I didn't do it. So he got in his pickup truck and drove over it just to prove a point and destroyed my brand new bicycle I just got for Christmas. I've been holding on to that now for 40 long years. Hey, Uncle George, I got you a bike this Christmas. Don't leave it in the driveway. And we needle each other. And it's so petty. And we joke about it, but in our heart, what's really there? Because most jokes and those types of fashioning, there's a little bit of truth to it, isn't there? So petty. Am I trying to justify things that people have done against you? Not at all. This verse doesn't justify anything. Absolutely not. But how wonderful it is to know that we can follow Christ in forgiveness. How wonderful to know that we have been given authority. This is so wonderful. It's so incredible to think about some of these things. And this is why the greatest in the kingdom is the one that can forgive. 
Jesus is the ultimate example of that. The one that becomes as a child. That one that doesn't look down on them. They're the greatest in the kingdom. You want to be great? You want to please God? You want to make him smile? You want to be like Jesus? Forgive. Everything else is just our reasonable service. God is our defender. Forgiveness isn't easy, I know. It's not something that I want to do. But the grace of God will lead you to do it. And that's why he will bring it up. So many times in our life, we think it's the devil that's bringing these things up in our life. I'm not convinced of that so much anymore. I'm convinced a lot of times it's the Holy Spirit saying, you know, you really haven't given this whole thing to me. And that's why it still bothers you. And that's why you loathe the thought of Thanksgiving and Christmas and getting together with that person or this person because you really haven't forgiven them in your heart. But I want you to. Because I know the responsibility that I've given you. And I don't want you to stand before me one day and me to have to say to you, I have to judge you with the same judgment. I desire to give you freedom, not to give you wrath. Musicians, if you'd come up. There's great freedom in Christ. There's great liberty in being obedient to what he's called us to do. To find anything else, to find a misunderstanding of what salvation really is. It's not to bind poverty. It's not to lose prosperity. That's not the gospel. It's to lose people. It's to forgive them for what they have done against you. He always leads you to greater freedom. If you will loose others on earth, they'll be loosed in heaven. So will you. Hallelujah. I don't want to be accountable for what I've done. And I don't want you to be held accountable for what you've done. So be obedient to these verses. Don't hold on to things. Be free. There's nothing greater than forgiveness. That is true salvation. This is the gospel, y'all. To be free and to give freedom. So what do we have to do to be great in the kingdom? It's not of works of righteousness, but it's by his mercy. He saved us. I know that I can't forgive some of the things that people have done to me and my own strength. But because of him and his grace, he gives us the ability to simply place it in his hands and to say, Lord, I need your help. I'm willing to just leave it here at the altar and walk away. But I need you to grind it out of my eye. I can't get it out. Pastor can't get it out. You're the only optometrist that can do it. You're the only one, Lord, and I need you. So before we leave this room today, y'all, if you're carrying hurt and pain, bitterness, things in your heart that you just can't seem to get rid of. Let's take some time to meet with the Lord and ask him to grind this out of our eye. 
to bring deliverance and freedom to us. Let's loose other people. Let's realize that if we've been binding people, that judgment is going to be given right back to us. Father, thank you for your word that makes things so clear. I thank you, God, that you, your strength, are able to remove the speck from our eyes, God. I don't know how you do it, but somehow you transform the heart. The terrible things that people have done to me that some of them should be imprisoned for, maybe even be executed for. Lord, don't hold it to their charge. God, we loose them this morning. Don't want to bind people. Lord, I pray that when we come into contact with them, when we meet them, Lord, either at Christmas dinner or on our jobs, walking down the street, passing them as we drive down the road, that we could really be free from it all and not fake not going in and trying to love them more than they love us and all of that foolishness. But Lord, from the heart to just be free and that they would be free.